Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Middle East Centre's Friday night seminar series of seventh week of Hillary term. Those of you who have been regular attendees will know that our theme for this term has been Iraq 20 years on from the US-led invasion of 2003. We have looked at various topics relating to Iraq over the previous weeks, looking at religion, politics, and art, and today it is the term of law, where we can look at the subject of law. And to address this, we have a very distinguished uh, speaker indeed. Sir Peter Gross is a retired judge of the Court of Appeal of England and Wales. Sir Peter was called to the bar at Gray's Inn in 1977 and became a Queen's Counselor in 1992. In 2001, he was appointed to the High Court, received a knighthood, and was assigned to the Queen's Bench Division. He was Senior Presiding Judge for England and Wales from 2013 to 2015, and he was Lead Judge for International Relations between 2018 to 19, working extensively internationally on international judicial relations, including working on the Middle East. And you won't be surprised to hear that it is Sir Peter's connection to the and experience of the Middle East that we have invited him here this evening to speak about. In 2018 and 2019, Sir Peter visited Iraq on the invitation of the President of the Supreme Judicial Council of Iraq, Chief Justice Baik Zedan, and supported by the FCDO to help advance the integration of the Iraqi judiciary into the international judiciary community, and also look at issues relating to the rule of law. Now, this has given Sir Peter an extremely valuable perspective, as you can imagine, on an aspect of Iraq that we seldom see. And I think throughout these series, we've tried to focus on more recent developments, as well as those that occurred around 2003. As a number of our speakers in the series have pointed out, sometimes an over-focus on the events of 20 years ago obscures some of the really quite important and interesting things that have been happening over more recent years. And so we are therefore very grateful to Sir Peter for accepting our invitation to speak about his experiences. And so tonight he will speak on the topic of Iraq, 2018 to 2019, the rule of law, a perspective. Sir Peter. Dr. Willis, thank you for the very kind introduction and warm words of welcome. It is an honour and a pleasure to be here at St. Anthony's this most prestigious college, renowned in the field of international relations, and to deliver this lecture, Iraq 2018-19, The Rule of Law and Perspective, as part of the college's seminar on Iraq 20 years after 2003. I am most grateful to Professor Eugene Rogan, Director of the Middle East Centre at the College, Professor of Modern Middle Eastern History at the University of Oxford, for his kind invitation so. I should be clear, a retired judge I may be, but the views expressed in this lecture are personal and my own. In October 2017, thanks to the FCDO, as it now is, and the recently appointed Lord Chief Justice, Lord Burnett of Malden, the President of the Supreme Judicial Council of Iraq, Chief Justice Dr. Fayed Zidane, whom I shall refer to by way of shorthand as C.J. Zidan, which beats the alternative longer titles, was invited as a guest to the annual opening of the Legal Year Ceremony in London, 
in that ceremony, representatives of our England and Wales, I shall refer to them as English, uh, our England and Wales judiciary attend a service at Westminster Abbey and read across the road to Westminster Hall wearing their ceremonial robes. The media then take photographs of the judges in their ceremonial robes, so if heaven forfend something goes wrong years later, they immediately have a photograph of someone looking a bit silly in a full bottom wig. Historically, the ceremony involved judges praying for guidance at the start of the legal year. Today, it is as much about reaffirming a commitment to the rule of law. On the very next day, Chief Justice Zidane met with the recently appointed UK ambassador to Iraq, Mr. John Wilkes, CMG, with whom the college is very familiar. And Mr. Wilkes was accompanied by Mr. Mark Thompson, who is in the audience and was at the time justice advisor at the British Embassy in Baghdad. Later that day, Chief Justice Zidane attended a meeting with a number of English judges of whom I was one in the light of my interest in the judiciary's international relations work. Chief Justice Zidane observed forcefully that he was very impressed with the opening of the legal year ceremony. It demonstrated the respect in which the English judiciary was held, its independence, and the importance of the rule of law. He would organize something similar in Iraq. I encouraged him, not knowing, of course, whether he would see this through. He then turned to me and said, and you must come. Again, I agreed. Dare I say it, wondering whether I would hear anything further. I should not have doubted Chief Justice Zidane's resolve and strength of purpose. All the support that would be forthcoming from Mr. Wilkes and Mark Thompson. A little over three months later, in January 2018, together with two judicial colleagues and supported by Mr. Ben Yallop from the Judicial Office uh, and interposing there, Mr. Thompson and Mr. Yallop are both here, which is very useful when it comes to questions. Uh, I found myself in Baghdad attending the inaugural Iraqi Judiciary Day, a first for Iraq and, as I understand it, for the region. A year later, my colleagues and I returned to Baghdad for the 2019 Judiciary Day, this time on a visit including Amman and Jordan and Erbil. My attendance at the two Iraqi Judiciary Days comprised two of the proudest and most humbling days I experienced in 18 years as an English judge. Proud because of the honor shown to the English judiciary, humbling because that honor reflected a wider and enduring yearning for the rule of law together with the good governance it underpins, of which the reputation of our English judiciary was emblematic. Those visits also demonstrate the success and potential of judge-to-judge, peer-to-peer, international judicial diplomacy or engagement, which for convenience I will call judicial engagement. More of those two days <coughs> present, but they provide the focal point for this lecture, 
in which I seek to explore three principal themes. The first is progress in the Iraqi judicial system post-2003. The second, the contribution made by judicial engagement. The third, institutionalizing judicial engagement. A focus on recent troubled decades should not result in overlooking the history of the judiciary in Iraq goes back to ancient times, to 4,500 BC, when it is said that the first court in history was established in the city of Ur in Dikwan, and the Ur Nammu law was enacted, perhaps the oldest law in history. That law thus preceded Hammurabi's law by about 350 years, itself of a venerable age. Contained in its famous legal obelisk, it is one of the most important historical artifacts from Mesopotamia because of its standing as the first known written legal document and the guidance provided for life in the Iraqi civilization of its time. When therefore we are discussing the rule of law or the Iraqi judiciary, it is right to acknowledge the historical roots and tradition as the cradle of civilization of which Iraq can be justifiably proud and from which today's Iraqi judiciary can draw strength. In the more immediate past, it has to be recognized that the rule of law was essentially defunct under Saddam Hussein prior to 2003. The judiciary was part of the executive. At that time, it could not be meaningfully described as independent of the executive or free from political experience. Many developments post-2003 are undoubtedly controversial and for the time being will remain so. However, the measures of the Coalition Provisional Authority undoubtedly gave a boost to the independence of the judiciary, including the re-establishment of the Council of Judges and its independence from the Ministry of Justice. As can now be seen, the Iraqi judiciary operates on a constitutional basis, emphasizing its independence from Parliament and the executive, and the separation of powers. Articles 87 and 88 of the new 2005 Constitution are expressed in unequivocal terms. Article 87, the judicial power is independent, the courts in their various types and levels shall assume this power and issue decisions in accordance with the law. Article 88, judges are independent and there is no authority over them except that of the law. No power shall have the right to interfere in the judiciary and the affairs of justice. And that is plain wording in those articles. Furthermore, law number 45, 2017, the Supreme Judicial Council law stipulated that a Supreme Judicial Council be established with financial and administrative independence. The law was issued on the 23rd January 2017, and unsurprisingly, perhaps, 23 January is the day fixed annually for celebrating the work of the Iraqi judiciary. Under the leadership of Chief Justice Sidan, the increasing role played by the Iraqi judiciary 
in the life of the state is a notable development for an institution which had not previously enjoyed public confidence. The judiciary's inbox is daunting, extending to terrorism, corruption, drugs, public order, and a new 2022 code of judicial conduct designed to enhance judicial integrity. The judiciary's role in election monitoring is particularly striking, demonstrating increased public confidence and respect. Likewise noteworthy was the Supreme Judicial Council's decision to suspend its work when demonstrators attempted to occupy its building, a suspension, as I understand it, maintained until the demonstrators withdrew. We are, in England and Wales, extremely fortunate that judicial personal security has not generally given rise to life-threatening risk. Sadly, the same cannot be said of Northern Ireland. By contrast, judicial duties are performed in Iraq against a background of 75 murdered martyred judges in Iraq's recent turbulent history. As it seems to me, whatever reservations might remain, this is demonstrable progress in the Iraqi justice system, a clear post-2003 game, especially in the context of the last 30 to 40 years in Iraq, realistically, such progress and reforms take time. Overnight transformation is not to be expected. What links the United Kingdom and Iraq, or more specifically, for this evening's purposes, the English judiciary and the Iraqi judiciary? Professor Reagan's magisterial work, The Arabs in History, traces the history of UK involvement with Iraq from its post-World War I origins. More specifically, coming to 2018, Iraq was a priority interest of Her Majesty's government Interalia was a view to combating Daesh and other threats to the United Kingdom's national security, together with a wider interest in seeing Iraq make the transition to more stable, prosperous and democratic times with accompanying trade and other benefits. Any such transition is, to put it no higher, extremely difficult without a functioning justice system and judiciary. If that explains why Iraq was a priority for the United Kingdom in 2018, we should next factor in the international scope of the English judiciary's interests and activities. English law and London, as a centre for international dispute resolution, are world leaders. The English judiciary is pivotal to the English law brand it enjoys, rightly, but not immodestly or complacently, in my view, the highest reputation, anchored so firmly as it is in the rule of law. Whether termed an aspect of soft power or of global Britain, the standing of English law and London persist both in the export of the United Kingdom's core values, to which the rule of law is fundamental, and the value of the UK's exports. Even in purely financial terms, that value is considerable. Recent figures suggest that the UK legal services sector generated a trade surplus 
of 5.9 billion pounds in 2019. Matters do not end there. As the present Lord Chief Justice expressed it, the rule of law and English law have a hidden value going well beyond the value of the legal services or the legal sector, enormous though that is. Indeed, it can properly be maintained that English law underpins hundreds of trillions of pounds of annual business activity in the UK and internationally, extending far beyond the legal sector, the value in significant part stemming from the independence of the judiciary and the robust and fair way in which the English legal sector operates. Financial considerations are, of course, only a part, an important part, there it is, of the picture. Having said what I have as to the English judiciary, it remains necessary to ask, why were English judges in Baghdad and elsewhere in the region? The primary role of an English judge is, after all, to hear applications, trials or appeals in court in England and to give rulings or judgments in the individual case. The reality, however, is that judicial duties extend well beyond the courtroom, including judicial leadership roles and international relations. The umbrella under which the English judiciary may engage in judicial international relations can broadly be described as promoting or enhancing the rule of law. As expressed by the Judicial Office, promoting respect for the rule of law and the independence of the judiciary is a focal point of our judiciary's work. There are obvious constraints on international judicial engagement. First, judges are a scarce resource. Their absence from a courtroom always requires justification. You should be trying a case what we do in traveling abroad. You need a justification, something of sufficient interest or importance to justify that. Secondly, the judiciary has a very small budget for international judicial engagement. Thirdly, some engagements entail an acute consideration of reputational risk. Unless judicial engagement is confined to relationships with those states with whom the United Kingdom is already fully aligned on all rule of law questions, and there is limited value in echo chambers, once the judiciary ranges outside that comfort zone, a balance must be struck between the benefits of engagement and the reputational risk should things go wrong. The benefits of judicial engagement in the right circumstances are, however, considerable and need to be appreciated, as I will seek to show. The English judiciary constitutes the independent third branch of the state, the others, of course, being parliament and the executive. It follows that in the conduct of judicial international relations, judges are independent of the executive. Indeed, the value of judicial engagement in this area would be lost were it otherwise. That said, it is not for the judiciary to engage in freelancing on foreign policy, so that when engaging with a foreign judiciary, English judges, while preserving their independence, would necessarily liaise closely with the FCDO. The value added by judicial engagement in the international relations sphere 
is found in the potential of peer-to-peer, -peer, that is, judge-to-judge, -judge, judicial engagement. In the words of the Judicial Office again, there is a unique value in judges talking to each other, sharing experience, and developing thinking together. Countries' prosperity and security are enhanced by supporting judicial systems, individual rights, and the rule of law. Bringing together judges from different states has advantages and attractions, comparable to, for instance, military-to-military -military engagement. There is an immediate common ground and a readiness to engage, judge-to-judge, -judge, which cannot be assumed when the alternative might be UK officials, no matter how eminent, with a foreign judiciary delay. It bears immediate emphasis that the approach of the English judiciary to international relations is always to share their experience with those who are interested in engaging. It is never to lecture or pontificate, and we have no monopoly on good ideas. The decision to engage and the decision whether or not to act on the ideas emerging from such judicial engagement are for the host country. For the engagement to be sustainable, here as elsewhere, there must be mutual benefits. Summarising, it is in the rule of law context, fundamental to the United Kingdom's core values, that the 2018-2019 visits to Iraq are to be seen. While of course the English judiciary cannot be everywhere, the importance attached to Iraq by the United Kingdom provided an ample justification for these visits. Turning to the 2018 visit, various features remain indelibly in my memory. First, the respect and warmth of our welcome from the Iraqi Supreme Judicial Council, led by Chief Justice Zidane. On a personal level, I am proud to say that that warmth continues to this day, but the welcome reflected more than personal chemistry, most important though that is. Personified by Chief Justice Zidane, it reflected a deep-seated desire to move away from the troubles of past decades and to look to a better future in which the rule of law would underpin improved governance and prosperity. Representing the English judiciary at a very senior level and through its world-class reputation, the attendance of my colleagues and I demonstrated powerful support for this yearning or aspiration. As already explained, pride and humility were concurrent emotions for us as guests of honour at this first ever ceremony, inspired by the English opening of the legal year. Exchanges characterised by openness and importantly trust were the natural consequences of direct judicial judge-to-judge -judge engagement. Secondly, the Iraqi day of the judiciary was as moving as it was inspiring. The pageantry alone was impressive, involving a parade of hundreds of judges and an important speech by Chief Justice Zidane. The symbolism elevating the judiciary in a society where until recently the rule of law was defunct and the judiciary lacking in prestige, together with highlighting the judiciary's independence, was even more so not least having regard to the loss of life.
suffered by the judiciary in the recent past. Some idea of the nature of the events we attended in 2018-19, and this year, the day of the judiciary, which we did not attend, can be obtained from the photographs, which I will now take a minute to show you. It asked for assistance, or heaven knows what will turn on the screen. <laughs> the first one is in fact this year's Day of the Judiciary Ceremony, very kindly sent to me via Mark Thompson by Chief Justice Cedar. And you will see the formal nature of the parade and the robe judges in due course as we go through the few slides. And there are the judges robed and parading. It's very smart. It's very enjoyable, but it's also very serious and very moving. You will note female judges feature more and more on each occasion. And then there is the Chief Justice, and that is in honour of the judges who have died. Uh, and annually, Chief Justice makes an important speech on this occasion. Now, the final one is something I'm going to come to, and that's a signing a ceremony in the Foreign Office, uh, which I will talk to you about. The Chief Justice is there, the Permanent Undersecretary of the Foreign Office, Senior Legal Advisor, uh, Mr. Thompson, and at least two of us who were on the visit. Let me not leave out Hammurabi, <laughs> taking a step a few years back. We'll come back to the others in a moment. Yeah. It's a good break. I hope that gives you, and that's the primary reason for showing this to you, the nature of the ceremony, its solemn nature, and its importance symbolically. Thirdly, features of our 2018 visit uh, and 2019 on both our visits, tight security was essential, and we benefited from it while essentially confined to the green zone. A reminder for us of the constant pressures on the overwhelming majority of the Iraqi judiciary who cannot live their lives in that zone. Fourthly, and I shall come back to this, the conditions for a successful visit were all satisfied. Chief Justice Zidane provided post-country leadership, giving strong and warm support to the engagement, as did others in Iraq with whom we met. Equally, through Her Majesty's Ambassador and Mark Thompson and their embassy colleagues, we have the fullest support of the embassy, Mark Thompson being the operational lead, and without that support, our work could not have been undertaken. Gratifyingly, Her Majesty's Ambassador was very visibly accorded suitable prominence at the day of the judiciary ceremony, evidencing the strength of the relationships he had clearly forged. Coming next to the 2019 visit, everything said about the 2018 visit continues to apply, with the qualification that at least at that point in time, the security position struck us as a little more relaxed than there have been downturns since. And again, we enjoyed close protection throughout. There were, however, additional important features of the 2019 visit, to which I next turn. To begin with, the visit commenced in Amman, Jordan, where we engaged with the Jordanian judiciary, 
including His Excellency the Chief Justice uh, and the Justice Ministry, much assisted by Her Majesty's Ambassador in Jordan at the time and the excellent, excellent Deputy Head of Mission, Laura Dorman. Judicial engagement in Jordan was itself of great interest, extending to discussion of delays and appeals and the relationship between the judiciary and the legal profession. In the event, the Chief Justice of Jordan, like us, attended the 2019 Iraqi Day of the Judiciary as a guest of honour. A notable feature of this second visit was the prominence of women judges in Iraq, and we've seen something in the more recent photos, and of whom we met a significant number, and the impressive then chair of the Iraqi Bar Association, Ms. Alam Alani, forward outward-looking and anxious to raise standards. Additionally, our visit took us from Baghdad to Erbil and warm engagement with the KRI judiciary with the full support of the KRI government at the highest level. This is not a travelogue. Having outlined visits in their context, let me turn next to the mutual benefits, benefits for both the United Kingdom and Iraq, arising from those visits. There are a number which I endeavour to summarise as follows. First, the visits at the very senior level already described affirmed the UK as the Iraqi judiciary's trusted international partner of choice. Tangible results flow from this development, including an openness to respectful guidance and advice, the provision of training, enhancing bilateral cooperation on counter-terrorism matters, and permitting a better understanding of the workings of the Iraqi justice system, extending to the obtaining of acknowledgments of the importance of transparent due process and compliance with fundamental human rights principles. Secondly, flowing from these visits, the signing on 2 October 2019 of a memorandum of understanding between the FCDO through the permanent undersecretary, Lord MacDonald as he now is, and the Iraqi judiciary represented by Chief Justice Sidon, securing cooperation promotion of bilateral engagement and knowledge sharing, together with the provision of capacity-enhancing opportunities. Again, the prestigious nature of the signing ceremony appears from the photo which I've already shown you. It's actually a convenient point, if I may, to show some yes, of the other if you don't mind. Not and this, before we move on from it, this is a photo of the either the 2018 or 19 ceremony. I think it may be the 2018, the first ceremony. And you can see its nature looked then very much as it did this year. Part of our visit specifically embraced meeting women judges in the Iraqi system, and we did that together with our ambassador who is standing there. That is meeting Chief Justice Zidane and being received by him in the Supreme Judicial Council building. And that is the end of right. the slide. <laughs> <laughs> Thirdly, third benefit, Chief Justice Eden and I, in my case on behalf of the Lord Chief Justice, signed a letter of exchange for cooperation between the judiciary of England and Wales 
and the judiciary of Iraq. As that letter stated, it was intended to be symbolic of this friendship between the judiciaries and to demonstrate the mutual determination of both judiciaries to share best practice and looking ahead to shape society based on law and the rule of law. The aims underlying this letter bear recounting. One, protecting individual rights, liberty and security. Two, providing a secure foundation for investment. Three, strengthening the efforts to combat corruption. Four, supporting the fight against terrorism. Five, recognizing the strides achieved and intended by women in the judiciary and in the law. That the fulfillment of such aspirations takes time and is unlikely to proceed without bumps in the road does not in any way diminish the importance of the direction established by these declarations. Although currently dormant, this memorandum of understanding provides an obvious foundation for future cooperation. Fourthly, the visits became well known in the region, enhancing the standing of the Iraqi judiciary. Chief Justice Zidane took the lead in inviting regional counterparts, of whom I have already mentioned the Chief Justice of Jordan, to the second, and I understand a subsequent, Iraqi Day of the Judiciary Ceremonies. Furthermore, the visits resulted in a subsequent London dinner, an important dinner, attended by Chief Justice Zidane with his Chief Justice counterparts from Jordan and Qatar. Fifthly, the visits facilitated the integration of the Iraqi judiciary in international judicial structures, notably the Standing International Forum of Commercial Courts, where Iraq has been a regular attender since 2018. Utilizing this platform at the most recent CIFOC meeting in Sydney, Chief Justice Zidane's address spoke of the formation of independent commercial courts from 2010 in keeping with Iraq opening its economy to the world and in accordance with investment law number 13 of 2006. And he took the opportunity to underline that Iraq had ratified the New York Convention, which is fundamental to international arbitration, through law number 14 of 2021. So that, that convention is now enforceable in Iraq. Sixthly, the visits have been followed by a significant expansion of the roles of women in the judiciary, including the establishment with the Chief Justice's strong support of the Iraqi Association of Women Judges and with the United Kingdom's assistance, its membership of the International Association of Women Judges as the Iraqi chapter, believed to be the first in the region. In his Sydney CIFOC speech, Chief Justice Zidan alluded to the fact that the judiciary in Iraq currently has the highest number of female judges in its history, including a female judge heading the Commercial Court in Baghdad and the Financial Services Court. It was additionally noteworthy that, as mentioned, the head of the Iraqi Bar Association at the time of our second visit was Ms. Alami, the first woman to be appointed to that role. Seventhly, the visit saw an improvement in the relationship between the Iraqi judiciary and the Iraqi Bar, a vital relationship in which, put neutrally, 
had hitherto been considerable room for improvement. As emphasized by the visits, trust, understanding, and engagement between judiciary and bar are of the first importance to the justice system. Eighthly, the second visit, involving Erbil as it did, stipulated engagement between the courts in Baghdad and the semi-autonomous KRI. Additionally, that visit assisted in the arrangement of a meeting between the Iraqi Bar Association and the Kurdish Bar Association, facilitating an agreement between those two Bar Associations as to lawyers practicing rights within the disputed internal territories, an agreement again supported by the Chief Justice. Ninthly, the visits assisted with the increased importance and improved prominence of the Iraqi judiciary in the life of the nation. Thus, in recent years, the judiciary has had, as already recounted, significant roles in election monitoring, along with issuing decisions relating to territorial disputes, including, importantly, the KRI independence referendum. Furthermore, the visits provided the springboard for encouraging the Iraqi judiciary to publicize its work and decisions, extending to an English-language website. It must be recognized that what I'm describing is work in progress. There is unfinished business. That does not detract from the accomplishments I've sought to highlight, but it is a reminder of the work still to be done. My impression from the outside, I've not been in Iraq to my regret since 2019, is that corruption, terrorism, and security, very much including judicial security, remain ongoing concerns. These are obviously grave matters. Additionally, the Iraqi courts, both in Baghdad and Erbil, have been faced with a mountain of terrorism cases flowing from the rise and hopefully fall of Daesh. Inevitably, international observers will scrutinize critically the fairness of these proceedings. Moreover, the access, openness, and dialogue between the UK, the English judiciary, and the Iraqi judiciary was forged by personal links. I do have a concern as to what happens when individuals move on, highlighting to my mind one of the most important and as yet unfulfilled requirements of this area, institutionalizing judicial engagement. For the future in Iraq, it is my hope that the problems of corruption and terrorism will be successfully confronted so that the Iraqi courts can truly prioritize the development of law, meeting international standards to support investment and prosperity. It is a long road, but the Iraqi judiciary has set the course it wishes to follow, and an outside observer can only wish it well and endeavor to provide support. The alternative is a council of despair. A word on the wider region. You do not need me to underline the importance of the Gulf region and the Middle East generally to the UK. Nor could anyone reading Professor Rogan's book fail to be struck by the importance attached to law, by that I mean law that is just, in the statecraft of the region. Here as elsewhere, internationally, law and justice matter regardless of historical failings. International commerce requires, or at least benefits greatly from courts and laws in which international investors can place confidence. Noteworthy developments include, if I will be forgiven shorthand, 
the financial free zone courts in Dubai, the DIFC courts in which I am a judge, Qatar and Abu Dhabi. It would be unwise, furthermore, to fail to grasp that law reform is very much part of the major reform program underway in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia under the rubric of Vision 2030. With such developments in neighboring states, the importance of the gains made in Iraq in the justice sector following 2003 should not be undervalued. I would now like to pull the threads together in some concluding remarks. One, there has been demonstrable and impressive progress in the Iraqi justice system since 2003. Two, judicial engagement in and resulting from the 2018-2019 visits has made an appreciable and significant contribution to such progress. Three, there remains the need to institutionalize judicial engagement. May I elaborate briefly on each? First, as to post-2003 progress in the Iraqi justice system, there is a very long way to go, but there should be no gainsaying the demonstrable and impressive progress made since then. Secondly, anxious though I am to avoid overstatement, the contribution made to such progress through judicial engagement in and resulting from the 2018-2019 visits was appreciable and significant. This was indeed a significant initiative generating the results already outlined. It was, if I may say so, the antithesis of a mere one-off judicial photo opportunity. I acknowledge at once the qualifications to be made so as to keep perspective. The visits were short, necessarily furnishing snapshots at given times. The visits did not transform my colleagues or me into Iraqi experts or diplomats. The credit for the state of bilateral relations between the UK and Iraq belonged to the UK's professional diplomats and their Iraqi counterparts. The gains achieved in the Iraqi judicial system are primarily due to the wisdom, skill and determination of Iraqis, led by Chief Justice Zida. All this is accepted, but it can fairly be said that judicial engagement in the course of and resulting from the visits stimulated and facilitated the developments I have described, and, to my mind, are illustrative of the gains which can be achieved by judicial diplomacy or judicial engagement in the right circumstances. Here, as I have sought to outline, the conditions for success were happily aligned. A dynamic local leader in the Chief Justice, committed to the reforms and advances I have outlined, the fullest support from an immensely skilled ambassador and a key advisor on the ground. The visit stand as a case study in that regard. Thirdly, there remains the need to institutionalize judicial engagement. To my mind, this is a missing link, which I continue to hope the FCDA will sometime address. Within the judiciary, with the strong support of the present, but shortly outgoing Lord Chief Justice, and the involvement of excellent individuals, including in key roles, much thought had been given to the strategic development of international judicial engagement. 
Administratively, however, except for Chief Justice Zetai, all the individuals closely involved in the visits of whom I have spoken have moved on. Judicial engagement solely based on individuals is bound to be vulnerable at both the judicial and the FCDO ends. If it is sought to sustain the gains to be made from judicial engagement, an institutional structure will be essential, one that recognises the independence of the judiciary involved, a fundamental consideration, but is backed by the permanence of the FCDO, so that at the start of each new engagement, there is not uncertainty, sometimes incomprehension, as to the role of a judge in this area. I guess not, Mr. Yallop, who is here tonight, has himself on several occasions encountered a conversation along the following lines. We're talking about judicial visit. What does a judge do? We don't do law. Why should we have a judge coming to visit? And so on. I'm not jesting. I'm not seeking to disparage anyone's questions. Uh, I can understand why people unaccustomed to this sort of thing put them. But there must be a better way of doing business uh, than encountering that sort of inquiry uh, at the start of an engagement. Thereafter, we are normally very, very fully and warmly supported. Uh, but we can do without the first stage. <laughs> to be clear, institutionalizing judicial engagement would not intrude on the independence or internal operations of the judiciary, it would instead provide a mechanism for continuity in the relationship between the judiciary and the FCDO, optimizing the contribution to be made by the FCDO to the benefit of both in the sphere of international judicial engagement. The costs are low or minimal, the potential for gain for the UK harnessing its world-leading reputation in the rule of law sphere are massive, but we have yet to do it. Thank you very much. Mm.